Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture for today is Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, we are blessed to have a guest speaker, Tammy Krantz from Fairhaven Foursquare, who's going to come up and share with us while Sean is out of town. So please help me welcome Tammy up. When Sean was uh, telling me that this series of questions Jesus asked, and he, he was gracious and gave me my, my choice of some, some different questions I got to pick from. And, and uh, I chose this one, who do you say that I am? Because I had just had an experience a couple months back I was at a leadership retreat for some pastors in uh, Texas, and part of that retreat, uh, we had some uh, somebody come in and, and lead us in some spiritual disciplines, and, and uh, that was part of the agenda. And so uh, they gave us a chance every morning to practice silence and listening for the voice of God, and they gave us a prompt. And the prompt was, we were supposed to say, God, who are you to me today? And then we had these red pens and journals, and we wrote in the journal, uh, you know, getting ready for God's answer. You know, I'd write, Tammy, I am your blank. And then I was supposed to listen and fill in the blank. And I'll tell you, actually, I didn't like that at first. I didn't like this question, who are you to me today? Because for one thing, it seems like, Okay, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God changes not, right? So why should I, like, expect to hear this different thing every day? This just doesn't seem right. And number two, I always kind of resist when it sounds like I'm trying to make it all about me, right? Can't stand it when people read the Bible and it's all about them and it's not about God. And, and so I had this theological problem. Um, sometimes I can get kind of snooty. But... I trusted my leaders, and so I listened um, to what they said, and I, and I took part in this practice. I said, okay, God, who are you to me today? And I listened, and everybody else did. And then afterwards, we would all share. We'd uh, sit around the table and share. Um, God said, I am your whatever. So uh, most of the time, we had some pretty standard answers that were similar to uh, what you would find in the Bible, so that made me feel a little better. Uh, you know, Susie, I am your comforter. Uh, Janice, I am your shepherd. Um, you know, I am your leader. I am your, um, your strength. But then we had this one 
person that came around, and, and this one pastor said, I am your windshield wiper. I went, huh, that's a little different. <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little different. I was like, I'm not sure about that one. Hold up. That sounds a little strange. And one of the hard things about this exercise is we weren't allowed to elaborate at the time. We were just supposed to, like, let it lay there. And so I had pondered that for a while. And then later I was able to get to know this particular pastor. And it turns out she had just recently, within the last year, lost her husband. And for her, her world was really dark. And she was really in a lot of confusion. And she didn't know, do I, do I sell my house and move? Do I stay here? Do I pastor the church I've been pastoring for these past years? What should I do? Where should I go? Just this, this cloud of confusion in the midst of her grief. And God was saying, I'm your windshield wiper. I'm going to clear away the confusion. I'm going to give you clear vision. I'm going to show you the way. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. Is that an okay question for us to ask? Jesus asked it. He, he actually started with, who do people say that I am? Who do people say? And we had some different answers at, at first. First, uh, some, say, some say John the Baptist. Well, actually, if you... Uh, a couple chapters back, you'll hear Herod was, was one of the ones to say that, and he was responding out of um, a lens of fear. See, Herod had just murdered John the Baptist, and he was quite afraid, uh, knowing that this was a holy man, and he had heard about this Jesus guy who was doing all these amazing things, this mir these miracles and these healings and speaking with authority, and he thought, oh, okay, this morning they told me I could say this, oh, crap. They told me it was all right at this church. He said, oh, crap. <laughs> uh, John the Baptist's ghost has come back to haunt me. I'm in trouble now. Or the spirit of John the Baptist is coming back. And, and, so, and so Herod's responding with who he thinks Jesus is out of his lens of fear and guilt. And, uh, and then other answers came out. Well, some people say you're Elijah. Why Elijah? Well, Elijah was one of the most powerful prophets, if not the most powerful of Israel's history. And, um, and there was a prophecy in the book of Malachi. Uh, he said, lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so the people were waiting for the day of the Lord, not knowing exactly what that meant. But they're waiting for this day, and they're waiting for the prophet Elijah to come forward. So they thought, well, maybe he's the prophet Elijah. Jesus himself had actually used uh, that, that, that prophecy to speak of John the Baptist earlier and kind of connect John the Baptist's ministry with Elijah, saying that Elijah had come. Um, some people said, well, maybe you're Jeremiah. Now, that one's kind of weird because if you if you read the book of Jeremiah, like Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, lots of suffering. So if you're kind of comparing Jesus to a, a, a suff the suffering servant, um, you can kind of see it, but it still seems a little odd. Jeremiah had a very different kind of ministry than Jesus. Um, he did speak uh, truth to power and spoke about the poor. Uh, that seems to ring true with what Jesus's heart was after. But um, but there was also, there were some readings and some writings that uh, the people of Israel had been, had been looking at around the time Jesus came up. 
So they're coming up with these crazy things, and part of it is because of the reading materials that they had at the time. The Apocrypha is what we call it, and it's uh, it's not in our Bibles as as a as inspired scripture, but it is. It's kind of like this is what people were reading at the time. Do you remember when uh, Rick Warren came out with Purpose Driven Life? If you were in the church at the time, like everybody was reading this, right? And so there was some conversation amongst the churches, what people were talking about. Well, this is how the Apocrypha was working for the Jewish people. You know, these were the things they were talking about, and they were waiting for the Messiah. So they were reading these books. And one of them, uh, Fourth Ezra, did say that Old Testament prophetic figures, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, were going to start appearing, um, ushering in this new day of the Lord and the coming Messiah. They said, well, maybe he's one of the other prophets, um, our church uh, in Fairhaven is studying Isaiah right now, um, very briefly. Isaiah is pretty vast, but we're we're taking just the the basic um, ideas of Isaiah. And if you look at that book, there's actually it's actually more like three books. There's three different sections. The first book, um, Isaiah one through thirty nine, talks about the Messiah. Talks about Messiah is the anointed one. It is the king, the coming king. It's got to be in the line of David, son of David. This is the restored throne of Israel is what they're looking for and waiting for. Um, the Messiah was, uh, was going to restore the land, restore order and, and uh, rule for Jerusalem. That was what they understood as Messiah from those early passages in Isaiah. Um, in the middle of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 55, you've got more of the suffering servant um, type of descriptions where it talks about Jesus. Well, we see Jesus in it. The Jewish people didn't see Jesus in it at the time, and they still, um, those who don't know him yet still don't. But um, it talked about a, a servant that would suffer um, and bring about the forgiveness of sins. Now, they didn't associate the suffering servant that would bring about forgiveness of sins with the Messiah. They thought these were two different characters. Um, so... Um, and many of the Jewish people still today read those passages in Isaiah, and they see Israel. They believe Israel is the suffering servant. And uh, sometimes it goes back and forth between an individual and, and, a, and a national identity they, as they read it. And, uh, but that individual takes on the identity of Israel, um, which actually just means that the study of Jesus is all that much more richer when we see him as the individual taking on the identity of Israel, God's people. But... And then that third book, that third part of Isaiah, talks about um, a kingdom messenger. This would be chapters 55, or sorry, 56 through 66. And uh, Jesus himself uses Isaiah 61 to say who he is and what he's there for. He says in Isaiah 61, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He quotes Isaiah. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in other words, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kingdom messenger. I've come to tell you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? So in Isaiah, it lays out the Messiah, it lays out the suffering servant, it lays out the kingdom messenger. And we hear a lot of the Messiah passages preached around Advent. Um, a child is born. Um, into the darkness has come a light, right? Those kinds of passages. We hear a lot of the suffering servant part preached around Easter, where he died and he took on our sins, and that he was led like a lamb before the slaughter and, and did not raise his voice, right? Um, 
And then in that, that last part, we hear Jesus oftentimes talk about the coming kingdom. Uh, so with all these passages, and then later, like Malachi kind of overlaps a Messiah and a priestly figure um, in later prophecies, but all these things that they've been reading, all these reading materials, they seem a little confusing, right? I mean, if you guys haven't spent a lot of time in, in the prophets, you're probably like, what is she talking about? Um, and, and to not have the, the hindsight of knowing who Jesus is, they didn't know what they were really looking for. But they were looking for a Messiah. And Jesus is like, I wonder if they're getting it yet. Who do the people say that I am? It's like, well, Jesus calls himself son of man a lot. Ezekiel called himself the son of man. And if you read Ezekiel, man, that's a weird book. That's just crazy. It's like, what does that mean if Jesus is the son of man? And uh, in Daniel, there's, there's a vision of one like a son of man who then ascends to the throne. He seems to be a divine creature. So is Jesus divine? Is he God? They don't know. What do you mean you're the son of man? All these scriptures, all these prophecies, so much info to sort through and make sense of. And Jesus says, okay, so that's what they're thinking. And they're all kind of confused and they have some different answers. He, he looks at, at Peter, though, and he says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are Messiah, son of the living God. How did he get it? This is a turning point in the gospel. If you read the gospels as a, as a full story, at this point, beforehand, Jesus is, he's casting out demons, he's healing people, he's speaking with authority, doing all sorts of great stuff. And then it gets up to this point where there's this proclamation, you are the Messiah. And then the pace actually picks up. It's like the critical climax point in a, in a novel. The pace picks up and it speeds up towards the end where it's the Passion Week and where it's the cross and the crucifixion. And um, in we read in Matthew, but in Mark and in Luke, they have the same story of Peter saying, you are the Messiah. And the same thing happens. It's a pivotal point where the story picks up and accelerates. But in the book of John, interestingly, somebody else gets to say that, you are the Messiah. It Liter as a literary function, it works the same way. It still picks up the pace. But in, in the book of John, it's actually Martha. If you've, if you've read the story of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, these were three siblings that were, were close to Jesus. They lived in the town of Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. A lot of people, a lot of scholars think that Jesus actually probably stayed there multiple times because it was like an easy walk from Bethany into Jerusalem. So he could have stayed there whenever there was... Uh, festivals and, and, and times when the Jewish people would go into the temple. So Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus gets sick, and they send for Jesus. And when they send for him, he actually takes a long time. He, he stalls, and he actually does not get there in time to heal Lazarus. He gets there um, four days after Lazarus died. And so when Martha hears that he's finally coming, she goes and she meets him a couple miles out from the house, and she says this to him. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, 
Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. So both Peter and Martha get to be the first ones in the narrative to say, you are the Messiah. How do they know? Jesus said, the Father has revealed this to you. In other words, you guys aren't smarter than everybody else. The Father has revealed this to you. But I wonder if there's something more to it. I wonder if it had something to do with their experiences and their stories. Uh, See, Peter was one of the, the disciples that had spent lots of time with Jesus. He followed him around for years, watching everything he did, listening to everything he, did, he said. Uh, Peter's actually kind of known for making a, a few mistakes along the way. Uh, he, he's, not always, he's not always real smooth. Uh, but he was attentive, and he was watching, and he was with Jesus, and he was close to Jesus, and he loved Jesus. Um, when Jesus would go off with just his, his closest friends, there were three, Peter, James, and John are the ones that were listed. So Peter was one of those. And knowing all that he had been through and watching closely, the father began to speak to him and tell him, this is who Jesus is. This is the Messiah that you're waiting for. He's the one, the one. Now, Martha came from a different context. She was a friend and she spent time with Jesus, but probably not near as much as Peter but probably not much near as much as some of the other disciples that could have said something. But she had spent time with him, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, probably intimate family gatherings and then times when they would invite others over. Um, but Martha, in a moment of deep grieving, at a time when she needed to hold on to something and she was grasping for hope, that is when it was revealed to him, who, her, who Jesus was. You're the Messiah. You're the resurrection and the life. You're the one I need. What would others say that encountered Jesus along the gospel stories? We have stories about the widow of Nain. Uh, she was a woman who uh, her and her some townspeople were, were going along. Actually, it was a funeral procession. They were carrying her son who had died on a stretcher. And uh, they were wailing. She was a widow, so she had no husband, and now her only son was dead. And Jesus' group intersects their group. They run across this group of mourners. And Jesus took the son and took his hands and got him up from the stretcher, restored his life, and gave him back to the woman. Who do you say that I am? The woman would say, you are the one who gave me back my son, my heart. You saved me from a desperate life without a husband or a child to provide for me. There's Jairus, the synagogue ruler, who had a 12-year-old daughter who was sick, and he was going to get Jesus, and his daughter actually died on the way while he was traveling. And they came back, and they come back to a, a, a house full of mourners, and Jesus just privately with, his, with the parents go into the room. He takes the little girl's hand and says, I say, get up. And she got up. And he gave her back to her family. Who do you say that I am, Jairus? You are the one who gave me back my daughter, my baby girl. There's the woman with the issue of blood. Who do you say that I am? You are the one who healed me and stopped the flow of blood. You made me clean and restored my health and my strength. 
the leper, who do you say that I am? You gave me back my life. You healed me of a disease that actually cut me off from my family and community. The blind man, who do you say that I am? You are the one who made me see. Mary Magdalene said Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And she was actually the one who got to be the first to see the risen Christ at the tomb when, uh, when Jesus rose again and got sent out to tell the disciples, Mary Magdalene, Mary, who do you say that I am? You are the one who rid me of my demons, who gave me peace. You are the one who sent me out as an apostle to proclaim your life. Mary of Bethany, who do you say that I am? You're the one who made a space for me to be your disciple, to learn from you at, at the foot of your teachings. When others said that I didn't belong there, you were the one who said, leave her alone and let me learn. You are Rabboni, my teacher. Mary, his mother, who do you say that I am? You're my son, my love, my heart. You're of divine origin, but you're my baby boy. I wiped your nose. I taught you to, to walk. I cleaned your scratches. I taught you how to read the Torah. So who do you say that I am? Have you encountered Christ? How would you answer that question? Intellect isn't enough. Going through the books and the writings and figuring out, that's not enough. It has to do with our experience. Have we experienced Jesus? Who do we say that he is? Jesus asks me, who do you say that I am? Well, my story is this. I have four children. I have three sons, Michael, Daniel, and Joseph, and uh, they're 29, 27, and 22. And then my daughter, Kelly, my baby, youngest, only girl, uh, she would be 21 next month. But uh, almost six years ago now, uh, when she was 15, Kelly took her life. And I, when I found her, I stretched out on her like, like Elisha, and I said, God, raise her. I shouted, you raised Lazarus after four days of being dead, dead. And I asked him, raise my daughter. Bring her back to life. And he did not. who he was to the widow at Nain, who he was to Jairus, who he was to Martha, was not who he was to me. A couple days uh, after Kelly had passed, a friend had shared with me a dream, and uh, she said it was terrifying at first because in the dream she saw me laid out and it looked like I was dead. I was on a stretcher. And, um, but there was, there was a man dressed in, in nurse's scrubs leaning over me. And as she looked, she saw that he was putting an IV in my arm. And the man was Jesus. And he was sustaining my life. 
And I felt that. Over the next year, uh, I took lots of trips over the pass to see my son, Daniel. My second son was doing a, a music performance uh, major, and so I would go to watch concerts, and I was constantly driving over the pass by myself. And uh, I cannot tell you how many times I thought, you know, at this turn, at this place, if I just put my foot all the way down on the gas, I could thumb Lynn Louise this thing. And, um, and I could go be with Jesus, and I could see Kelly again. But I felt God's restraint keeping me from doing that. He was sustaining my life. Who do you say that I am? Jesus, you are the one who sustains my life and kept me alive when I didn't want to live. That's who Jesus is to me. Who do you say that Jesus is? How would you answer? Is it okay that we make this a little bit about us? Like at first, you know, I thought it, it shouldn't be about us. It's all about God. But the thing is, I've been studying the prophets and they just, the constant cry of God is my people don't know me. And the word know isn't academic knowledge. Now, I, I love academic knowledge. I'm actually right now taking my master's in New Testament. I told my husband I don't ever want to be out of school. I want to get my PhD. I'm going to, you know, I love all, I geek out about this stuff. I love it. But that's not what God was saying when he said, my people don't know me. It was an intimate knowledge, a personal knowledge that God was learning. Jesus asks us all, who do you say that I am? And once we say, Jesus, this is who you are for me. You are Messiah. You are King. You are my Savior. You are the love of my life. You are my heart. You are the one who sustains me. You are the one who makes me whole. You are the one who heals me. When we can say who Jesus is to us, then he does something special. Notice when Peter said, you are the Messiah, Jesus turned around and said, okay, great. Now that you know who I am, let me tell you who you are. And he says, Peter, you are my rock, and on you I will build this church. Until Peter could say, I know who you are, he wasn't able to truly know who he was. When we say we know Jesus and we know who he is, then he can turn around and tell us who we are in him. You guys, that is our testimony when we say who Jesus is to us. Now today is Pentecost Sunday, and I did not know that when I decided that I would step in here and preach for Sean. Um, and I haven't done a very Pentecost-like sermon. But I would say, though, as Jesus was leaving this earth in his human form, um, being resurrected, uh, his human resurrection body, however that looked, when he was leaving, he told his followers, he said, you go and you wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my father would give. 
And the Father poured out the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Peter told a story about the Israelites and who Jesus was to them. He put Jesus in the story. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, said Jesus, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the world. You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. You guys, our testimony is what Jesus is to us, inspired and informed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, the gift of the Father given to others. Peter stood up filled with the Spirit, knowing who Jesus was, and said, this is the story. This is who Jesus is. And 3,000 were added to the church. What would happen if we started telling our story of who Jesus is to us in the power of the Holy Spirit? Who do you say that I am? Jesus, you are everything to me. Who does Jesus say that I am? And how do I live into that? That would be the question I would ask him. You tell Jesus who you say he is. And listen to who he tells you you are. How do you live into that? empowered by the Holy Spirit as a witness. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. 